Hello there, Graham Norton here on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose for another podcast. Let's get cracking, shall we? Aid Edmondson is in chatting all about his memoir, Berserker. Grace Dent tells us about her new book, Comfort Eating, What We Eat When Nobody's Looking. There's a brand new competition, Big in Japan. And Maria McCurlin is here and we'll be putting our heads together to answer your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Let's cross to her now. Hello, Maria. It's me. Have you? Have I heard Maria? I didn't hear it. <laughs> that was it. It just happened. Oh, yeah, no, thank yeah. you very much. She's thank not you. wearing headphones. She's not gone deaf. No, because I, I was slightly mesmerised. I wasn't wearing the headphones because I was mesmerised by you doing head dancing. Yeah, well, yeah. Which is a new thing, isn't it? I, I mean, I'm worried that you'll put your neck out. <laughs> oh, ow. ow. But it was pleasing. It looked like you were happy to be here. Well, it's like an ex- it's like it's like excess because of course I am wearing headphones which are, are very heavy. Yeah. So it's like weights on my head. Sometimes I come in and your little head is right down <laughs> on your chest with the weight of it all. I know. <laughs> heavy metal. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, but anyway, uh, I did a bit of dancing. But uh, how are you this week? I'm good. I'm good. I came in on the train and I watched your television show. Can I just say something? I know it's not very politically correct, but I am completely in love with Ashley Walters. That's all right. You can be in love with Ashley yeah, Walters. Sexy. And also, here's an odd thing. Yeah. Uh, when you touch him... Oh, stop it. What are you going to say? What? Do you get electric shocks? No. He, it's like he's been carved from stone. Oh, he is so fit. It's nuts. Because normally, you know, even a muscly person, there's a bit of, you know, there's a bit of give. No. That, like, his body fat ratio must like be zero. like touching a dolphin? A, I've never well, touched a dolphin. No, neither have I. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I just sort of imagine dolphins. <laughs> no, it's like I said, it's like touching rock. Oh, rock, it's rock. Just, not a dolphin, rock, Yeah, rock. it's just absolutely... And also, he's a grandfather. He's got eight children and he's a grandfather. I mean, they don't put that on the poster because they want him to be, you know, top boy, yeah. sexy, kind of really... He's scary. He should really be top old man. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Good job you didn't say that to him last night. <laughs> Um, did you have a coach party? For those people that didn't see Graham's television show, it was very good. I thought everybody worked really well together on they, the sofa. They were nice and chatty. They were interested in each other, they, yeah. They were, and that yeah. makes a difference. But um, there was a coach party from Coventry because it seemed that everybody in the red chair was from Coventry. It was very odd. And I would say Coventry is lacking in humour. <laughs> <laughs> and pants. And pants. No spoilers, no spoilers. Yeah. But okay. most of the stories were about pants. Yeah. Now, like I said to Bill, they were like uh, AI had just done some red chair stories. <laughs> <laughs> they, were all, they were all kind of classics of the genre. Uh, yeah, but yeah. sort of without punchlines, really. Yeah. I, I think we could have worked those up into stories, but they just yeah. were a little bit limp. It was like they go, oh, let's do the red chair. I haven't got a story. Oh, yes, I have. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing, rather than bursting. Often we'll do the red chair. I think, really? That's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you. Okay. <laughs> what a life. Yeah, what, what a life. What a life you've had. Um, can I just pick something up on Netflix that I have so enjoyed? Yes. The Beckham documentary. Oh, really? Have you seen it? No. It's in four parts, but it's, there's about five hours of Beckham's and a lot of football, which I remember, you know, all the things when he got sent off and the nation hated him and his career and his relationship and... I mean, yes, it's, of course, it's a bit of a hagiography because uh, they're not going to diss him. It's a celebration of him. But I really enjoyed it. The editing, the putting together. His father has got 1,400 of his early games all on video. Wow. 
So they were able... And they laughed at them for keeping them. And now look. <laughs> yeah, now look. It's a Netflix documentary. Now look, no one can play them because no one's got videos anymore. <laughs> no, they must have taken them because when he takes a free kick, you know, for Real Madrid or for England or whatever, they intercut it with him when he was like nine and his dad saying, do it again, do it again, do it again. I mean, I worry about the hot housing of it all, but he loved football. And also it, it worked out. It's worked out. Oh, it's, it's the hot housing for people who their childhoods are ruined and they're still not a footballer. Yeah, yeah. But what it made me realise, going just one last thing on this, is that um, the football managers are horrible because in general they're ex-footballers and they're resentful and jealous and bitter and want to sort of squash their team. Alex Ferguson. Sorry, he seems to be. And Capello, Fabio Capello, who was the England manager, they just were horrible to him and took him off the game and made him train on his own. And it's like ridiculous. It reminded me of, I know that thing, how many times do men think about the Roman Empire? I was thinking, there's a sort of thing going around. Oh, Polly, Polly was telling me she's got some hilarious stories. Um, but seeing him play at Real Madrid, which is like a massive gladiatorial stadium, like the Coliseum, and the tax and the fans are all horrible, you know, with a thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah. Beckham spent a lot of time with a thumbs down after he got sent off with Argentina. Oh, For those people that don't like football or aren't following, Graham's eyes are glazing over. I'm here to tell you, he's wandered off in fact. He's not even <laughs> sitting in his chair. And I will stop talking about Netflix. Tell me about your week quickly. Uh, I went to see Old Friends, the Sometime Thing, which is really gorgeous. Oh, lovely and Old Friends. I went to see an amazing musical on Wednesday called Next to Normal. It's at the Donmar. I think it's to totally sold out, but it might come to the West End. And if it does, I mean, it's no 42nd Street in that it's like... It is harrowing. It's really oh, harrowing. Oh, a musical that's harrowing? Yeah, it's a harrowing Wait, harrowing, and what's the subject matter? Can you say without spoiling? Uh, kind of. I went in knowing nothing. It was and sometimes I'm, the best way. And I think it was really, really good. There was a proper moment where you went, <gasps> like that. It, uh, but it is harrowing. Okay, so you still can't tell so it's us. Like, it's like a play. It's, it's more than a musical. It's more than a play. It's a proper musical drama. It's extraordinary. Oh, OK. Because I always think the minute someone starts singing, then the harrowing bit is gone. You know, you're suddenly into 42nd Street. Well, it's funny. At the beginning of this musical, when people sang songs, at the end of the songs, people would clap. That stopped quite soon. <laughs> when people were just like... Oh. The, sound of, the sound of sobbing. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Um, at the interval, the people in front of me, uh, one, one guy kind of went, are you going to uh, go out to the bar? And he went, no, I'm just going to stay here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't face people. <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, but it's really, really good. Hey, uh, you've got some yes, problems. I you've have. got some problems. Virgin Radio. Yay, that's me. Here's the first problem. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Dear Graham and Maria, I left my partner of seven years in March. We're both in our early 30s. I met someone else and we grew close. Ultimately, I felt we had a deeper connection and this has been missing from my relationship. It came out of the blue for my ex oops, and really shook him hard, particularly as the third person was also a good friend of my ex. Oh, my goodness. Obviously, I felt very bad about this. I started a relationship with this new person, but then realised this isn't what I wanted. I still love my ex-partner, and I know he loves me. We've spent some time together recently, and it's been nice and normal. We always got on really well and had a great life together with our similar goals in life. However, 
I'm worried that something is still missing from our previous relationship. If I go back, uh, uh, you know, if I go back and that I'll be tempted, sorry, to stray again eventually. I know I can't do this to him again. Really? He's always been so supportive and kind to me and my family adore him. But still, I felt the need to get something elsewhere, which has shaken me. I didn't want to and don't want to be that person. I need to know that there isn't anything missing, I think. At the moment, I'm living nearby with my parents, consumed by my dilemma and pretty down about everything. My ex is in our home and I know he struggled and isolated himself a bit. I've had some counselling, but I'm not sure I'm getting anywhere. I don't know what to do. And that is from Elliot in... Harrogate. Oh, Elliot in Harrogate, talking about doing a doo-doo on your own doorstep with a friend of your ex. I mean, you have kind of ticked every box for the not very nice person um, in this particular thing. I just... Elliot, you have to ask yourself, what exactly is it? You, you mentioned this three times that there's something missing. What is it that you're missing in a relationship? I mean, relationships are about compromise. You never get to tick all the boxes. It's just that the other boxes that you have ticked make up for the one that you can't. I would say, I mean, if I was your ex, I would sort of say enough is enough because Almost certainly you will do this again, Elliot. You're saying it yourself. You're giving yourself permission. You will do that again. So you both need to get together in a room and find out what is the missing thing. You might find out from your partner as well, Elliot, that there's something missing for him. But he's prepared to put up with it. You just... I think there's... This is a bit young, this problem. But I do think... Find the missing part. Um, you've strayed once. The trust has gone. If I were your partner, I'd be very wary. But if you can find out what it is that's missing and you can put it back, then good luck to you. Yeah, I, I, about halfway through this letter, I was I had no sympathy for Elliot at all. I just thought, oh, you idiot. And then by the end, I felt very sorry for him because he's clearly... Well, because he's clearly in a very dark place and this is kind of, you know, it's sort of gone beyond a breakup now and it's like this existential crisis of, you know, how will I ever be happy? What will make me happy? Who can make me happy? All of that. And I would just say, Elliot... You are in your early 30s. You've got so much time. If I was you, I would just be single for a bit. No, but you can feel that there's a panic about that. Yeah, but It's but almost he, but he, like he does yeah. not want his ex to go off with someone else. So but he knows that he went off with the friend, ex-friend of your partner, um, and it wasn't right. So you did well to get out of that because that was... You could have just left it as a fling. Yeah. But you did well to get out of that. However... Um, you know, let your but, partner go. But I feel Elliot, Elliot's in this moment where he thinks, like, it, it's as if Elliot thinks, if I don't back one of these horses, I'm out of the race forever. And you're not. You're absolutely... Just breathe. Give yourself some time. And I think you're ex-partner would also like some time yeah because if you maybe you will get back together again but don't do it right now um and i think be honest with your partner say look i'm very confused i i think maybe i do want to be with you but i don't know you know do you think counseling would help them you know to split up or to get back together yeah, it could it could do but i think the main thing Doesn't is sound like they're talking really no, i think the main thing is elliot just be honest because you don't have to be sure 
you can say I don't know you're allowed to say that um, and I just think you've got so much time ahead of you calm down but you know no what it's rush. like you know what it's like when you're 30 I mean we speak from a position of 93,000 years old yes when you're 30 you think I've got to find someone to settle down with now or it's never going to happen but also if you're in your thir- early 30s and you've been with someone for 7 years that's a lifetime an absolute lifetime to have been someone for seven years. Yeah. So it's like... They got together quickly, yeah. maybe too quickly. And So it's like you had a life partner. Um, I just think... Uh, seven year itch as well. Oh, oh, yeah, that's an expression. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Elliot, I just be a bit kind to yourself. I feel like you're really spiralling into a dark thing now and making it a bigger thing than it is this isn't your whole life this is a relationship it might be over you might get back together again but it the rest of your life doesn't hang on this moment so just take the pressure off it i would say because you know whatever happens will happen i I kind of feel he has to woo his partner back I mean, I, you feel sorry for him. I feel less sorry for him. I feel... I didn't feel sorry for him, but at the end, I just thought, oh, he's living with his parents. It's all very bleak. He just... His parents are lovely people. They've got a very nice home. They do. It's in Harrogate. It's in Harrogate, they exactly. Conserv- they have a conservatory and a porch. <laughs> and they've got a caravan. <laughs> yeah, and a hot tub. I mean, it's closed for the winter now. Dad Responses, part one. And my favourite responders today will be getting a Waitrose number one Basque cheesecake. What the hell's that, Graham, when it's at home? I'll tell you. It is a burnt vanilla cheesecake with orange zest. But not like burnt as in, you know, we've got a job law. <laughs> They're burnt. No, it's meant. To, it's, that's meant to happen. Burnt vanilla cheesecake with orange zest. Rich creamy cheesecake made with uh, Madagascan vanilla and baked at a high temperature for a dark, deeply caramelised top. Oh, anyway, someone's getting that. Uh, Stephen Wisbeach says, Dear Elliot, just remember, time only moves in one direction, forwards. Ditch all your circle of friends and start dipping your toe into a new gene pool. And I I think you meant to spell it J-E-A-N because it's, that's, those are the genes you'll be dipping into. Uh, good luck. Thank you, Steve. Elliot, cast your net a little wild, wider. Go on holiday and have a magnificent fling with an exotic hottie. And then, if you come back, think about what amazing attributes you have that someone will appreciate. Keep up the therapy, save some money for the next stage, and your future is bright. So says Katrina in Glasgow. Elliot, I think what's missing is maturity. You need to get out. Just have fun. Enjoy yourself. Live your life, not the one you feel you should be living. And it will all come good for you in relationships too. Uh, Thank you very much to Karen in Hereford for that. And finally, Trisha, Geraldine and Ursula. They're all in the lovely warm Peterborough. They say, Elliot, if you are in love with two people, you are not in love with either of them. Get outside your friendship group and meet the love of your life. You are young. You have life ahead of you. There is no rush. You have to time the trust is lost and there was a reason you strayed in the first place uh, thank you for all that advice for elliot i'm going to give the number one basque cheesecake to karen in hereford because I, I i agree with you i do here we go dear graham and maria I've fallen out with my sister big time. We've never been the best of friends, but in the past few years, things have become much worse and I feel like I can't say 
anything without her trying to debate me on it. I'm the younger sibling and I've never wanted to cause trouble. I've tried to be calm and understanding, but everything came to a head after my engagement. I told my family when they were all together and she kept digging, asking rude and personal questions and then interrupting everyone else to have her say. I took her outside and I finally lost it, asking her to leave me alone and to stop trying to wind me up as it makes me upset. I've since asked her not to come to the engagement party as close friends and family will be attending and I only want people there who will be supportive. I do not consider her in this category. She's kicked off and told me that she'll be there regardless and that my mum and dad have given her all the details anyway. I'm beside myself. If this is the only engagement party, then how am I going to deal with... If this is only the engagement party, then how am I going to deal with the wedding? My fiancé is being very supportive, but I'm finding it very difficult difficult and embarrassing that my family can't do the same what should I do that's from Josephine in Newport well what a well of intrigue there Josephine Newport I have to say sorry I'm supportive of you and I understand it's horrible but you escalated this Josephine by not asking her to your engagement party I mean you know and now she's going to come and what are you going to do? Get a bouncer to throw her out. What you're going to do, Josephine, in Newport is say, look, ring her up and say, we have to sort this out once and for all. Um, both of you need to apologise. Both of you, it's it's a long-standing issue. You're never going to be the best of friends, but you've got to make this work for your own sake, for the sake of your family. You don't want this to turn into a massive thing. And... Let her be at the engagement party. She's one person. Um, Find out why she's so chippy about it. Is she jealous of you? What's the problem? I mean, you just have to get together and sort this out because it's unpleasant for the rest of your family. Your mum and dad must be head in hands. What can we do about this? We can't not let her come to the engagement party. We can't not go. It's uh, bigger than it should be. Yeah. I think, Josephine, you really need to learn how to roll your eyes. (laughs) <laughs> that's what you need to do. Just yeah. when she kicks off, just roll your eyes and just go, yeah, that's her. That's my sister. Uh, but I do think Josephine's not being completely honest here. Oh, go on. I what think, do you know that I don't? Well, I think there's something about this person she's engaged oh. to. I don't think any of the family's that keen. And I think the sister's the one who's kicking off about it and does, you know, I, I think... There's so I think there's more going on here than just a sibling thing. Right. So uh, everyone I, disapproves, and sister is the mouthpiece. Yes, yes? Is and that's that what it? I think because it's yeah, the, the, what she describes when she announced the engagement. What is that? What, what went on there was someone who doesn't think you should get married to this person. That's what's going on. Mm. Um, so uh, maybe have that out with your sister before you go to any engagement party and just explain, look, you can hate this person. You can think I'm making the biggest mistake of my life, but I'm making it. Yeah. So It's my life and I have to do what I want to do. Even if it only lasts this long... Yeah, I mean, I agree, but clearly, if you're if you're right and you're normally I'm very so good, right. you're normally correct. very good on this, Graham. Oh, yeah. tick, tick, tick. Then um, there's something wrong with who you're marrying, and the family don't like him or disapprove of him, or I don't know. Well, has he been married before? Has he got lots of children? Has he been in prison? <laughs> that, that, <laughs> Those that are the things thing. that normally upset people. <laughs> yeah. Is he a football manager? <laughs> uh... 
<laughs> yes. Um, so I, I just feel like something else is going on here and it's to do with your relationship, Josephine. Um, but equally, you know, sometimes you just have an annoying sister and there you go. I mean, there and is I just, that. Like I say, roll your eyes. Yes, there don't is en- that. Don't engage. If that is the case. But if it is that he doesn't and nobody likes him, your new partner, I mean, you know, everyone's coming to the engagement seemingly. Yeah, but they're not supportive. <laughs> we need to know more, Josephine. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, Josephine, cause I think I think Josephine's uh, sounds like she can deal with this. I know she's asked us for help, but anyway, maybe maybe listeners can help. And again, my favorite responders will be getting the waitress number one Basque cheesecake, burnt vanilla cheesecake with orange zest. <gasps> Connor in Belfast says, Josephine needs to bury the hatchet. Life is too short. Just hate her in secret like a normal person. How true, how true that is, uh, Connor and Belfast. Uh, Rachel says, oh, Rachel says, I totally agree with you, Graham. <laughs> Josephine's sister is vocalising what the family don't want to. I was in the same position 13 years ago where my brother totally disowned me and my family put up with my now ex-husband. It later transpired when it was too late that he was having multiple affairs the whole time we were together. Trust your family. They're looking out for you. Yvonne in Thrapston says, Josephine, it sounds like a bit of sibling rivalry. I have a similar problem, and the best thing you can do is rise above it. Phone or text your sister and say, sorry I didn't invite you to the engagement party. It was a moment of madness. Of course you're welcome. This will call her bluff. And you don't have to sit with her, etc. You can enjoy your party regardless. Remember, when you're married, you won't have much else to do with her. Don't let her command the waves. I love that. Don't let her command the waves. And Joanne in Birmingham, listen up, Josephine in Newport. Joanne in Birmingham says, I married someone my family didn't like and no one came to my wedding or engagement party. They were right. It didn't last. I had to go my own pathway and it all works out in the end. Um, oh, well, Joanne, you're getting the uh, the Bass Cheesecake just to, to, cheer, to cheer you up. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Aid Edmondson <laughs> is here. He's got a new memoir out called Berserker. Is this your first memoir, Aid? It is. My first and my last, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how did you hold off till now? Because um, I never really wanted to write one and then uh, when lockdown happened uh, I, I, I sort of had a moment of uh, I started gardening and, uh, uh, and I've, I've always gardened I've won prizes for gardening oh yeah I haven't won any for comedy but uh, <laughs> I've won any for gardening and uh, I sort of had a moment of zen like meditational calm and, and the buzz that has been in my head since I was 12 disappeared and uh, I think it, I had a moment of enlightenment and uh, and and, and in the evenings, I was filling it with uh, scanning every photograph in the house to make, you know, an archive for the family and sort of all the memories started coming in. And it, it, the book just kind of poured out of me. Wow. It was really quite cathartic and really good fun. Yeah. It, there's a weird thing, because we're kind of of an age. Yeah. And there's a weird thing. Ancient. I, well, that, but it's that weird thing that it, when we talk about our childhoods... Yeah. You feel like it could have been 150 years ago. Yeah. I mean, because... And particularly your childhood, because you were kind of an army kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Tell us about some of the places you lived. Uh, I lived in Cyprus, Bahrain and Uganda. Uh, Although I didn't really live in Uganda because they sent me away. (laughs) Yes, quite quickly. (laughs) So so I I lived in a sort of uh, something masquerading as a school, but it was actually a prison in, in East Yorkshire. 
uh, for most of my teens. And all of that does sound, it sounds almost medieval. It's, it's quite brutal, yes. I, 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 when I first started writing it, I, I found I'd written 12,000 words about corporal punishment. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was beaten very, very yeah, yeah, regularly yeah. Um, at, at any opportunity with sticks yeah. and various other things, conkers, um, slippers. And uh, I... I my, my editor said, "This is this is just too much. You're going to have to, you know, condense tone, this." Tone it down. So, uh, yeah. so I, I, I brought it down to six thousand words about corporal punishment, <laughs> and, I, and I hope they're kind of funny at the same time as being rather vicious. And uh, but also very true. Like I think a lot of people will read it and yeah. go, "Oh yeah, I remember that." And yeah. it's obviously where a lot of my comedy yeah, comes that from. That was the word, clearly. You know, yeah. You know. <laughs> when I when I was a kid, uh, my my parents sent me away to boarding school, uh, and I only used to go home twice a year. And I used to stay with uh, my grandma and granddad, who are very strict Methodists uh, um, no no fun around their house at all and one day it was obvious that Grandad was out and Grandma was very worried and uh, she thought he'd fallen into the arms of Beelzebub and um, which to you and me means he'd gone for a drink and, uh, and when he came back he sort of gingerly put his head around the corner of the door and she rushed in from the kitchen and hit him with a frying pan. Wow. So, I mean, that's that's always been, you know... That's textbook, Aiden it's, Edmonton. It's, it's, Fellini, it's a Fellini moment in my head. Yeah. You know. I'm sure it wasn't funny at the time. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> and, uh, then your name is a big issue. Yeah. That you, why, do you, why do you not like your name? Well, because when I was a kid, uh, in, in the times, you know, I was going to school, I went to, I went to a different school every year, and at every school they'd say, oh, Adrian, it's a girl's name. Oh, you must be a girl. Yeah, you get a girl's name. And, uh, and it never really went away. And uh, in my teenage years, Adrian Street turned up as a wrestler on the telly. Do you remember Adrian that, Street? Yes. Sort Adrian. of flamboyantly dressed yeah, yeah, yeah. with sort of... He had ponytails and, and wore <laughs> glitter, glittery eye makeup. And this was my name. And then... then and Rocky came when once I got to university. Rocky started, and the girlfriend was called Adrian. You know, it just never stopped. And then there's a weird that you tried to change it uh, when did. you joined Equity. Uh, well, I, I I thought I was. You know, we we eventually came up with the name Eddie Monsoon. Uh, <laughs> because it's, it's a kind of shortening of, well, it's a lengthening of Edmondson. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I thought that's brilliant. And I went in the next day and told the production assistant, I'm going to be called Eddie Monsoon because that, that first instant is when you can decide. Yeah. And she'd already sent the forms in. So, is that so, that? Uh, so Jennifer stole it. Yeah, we didn't, I was going to say, it didn't go to waste. I think it's had a slightly better career without me. <laughs> um, Often, when you read a showbiz uh, memoir, you know, you're, you're following a career path. Yeah. And what strikes me about you and your kind of contemporaries... Is that I haven't had a career. Well, no, <laughs> the, well, the, the, you were kind of building the path as you went along. Like, yeah. no one had... You were the first. Yeah. Like, now people can follow what you guys did, but then no one had done when it. We, when we started off, we... When Rick and I left uni, we couldn't get into equity. And uh, so we, we became comedians by accident because the way in was through variety contracts. And then we tried to get into that kind of working man's club circuit. And they, they heard our accents and they, they just said no. So we had to kind of form our own venues. So we, so we invented the comic strip club yeah. and uh, a club called Pentameters and, and, and all these kind of... You know, we, we, we were the vanguard of... Uh, yeah, and then you went on tour. And then telly science seemed to happen quite 
I'm sure it didn't seem quick at the time, but reading the book, telly came a-calling quite soon. Yeah, we were sort of in our early 20s, so it was quite quick, really. And we were kind of lucky because we were... We'd, we'd sort of... Doing the comic strip club, uh, it was us and Dawn and Jennifer and Pete and Nigel and Alexis Sale, and, uh, and it got a lot of attention. Uh, and uh, Channel 4 was starting up and they came along and they wanted... They, they had a whole kind of schedule to fill. Yeah. Uh, so they wanted some new comedy because they were supposed to be a new channel. And then Paul Jackson at the BBC thought, oh, they're stealing all this talent, we'd better get a show. We got the offer of the comic strip and the young ones more or less on the same day. And they went out within a week of each other. We were in competition yeah. with ourselves, Graham. And what I didn't <laughs> realise, and I think this happened with, with Dawn and Jennifer as well, you were commissioned by the variety department, not the comedy department. Yeah. Uh, well, Paul Jackson made that because we needed... I mean, it wasn't Terry and June. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot more effects, which needed a bigger budget. And if you went through the variety department, you got a bigger budget. But it also meant you had to have a band on. Yeah. Uh, so the, the reason there are bands on, on, the, on the young ones is, is simply a budgetary requirement. And in the young ones, some of those stunts, I mean... Yeah. It was insane. The my my, did. my daughter read the book a few weeks ago, and she came up to me. And she said, "Said Dad, I, I never realised that that you were never really a comedian. You were you were a stunt man, <laughs> and and I was. I think there's Paul Jackson, or the producer, always had the idea that if you had a big joke, you should do it in front of an audience and get the big laugh. So there's an episode of the of the young ones where Rick and I are fighting each other again, uh, all around the house, calling each other virgin, and. Um, Hey, Virgin. We're on Virgin Radio. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey so, see how so on brand. So on brand. And, uh, yeah. and there's, a, there's a bit where we, we, come, we crash through the ceiling into the kind of kitchen set on a bed. And uh, we did it for real. It's, it's just bizarre to think Could of. You about it's a 25-foot 20, 20, 20, yeah. drop um, in, in a kind of metal crate with some, uh, you know, boxes in it and a bit of, <laughs> and a bit of bedding. And uh, if you look very carefully, I mean, it's one shot. And if you look, we get out straight away and start fighting him. But if you really slow it down, you can see that we're absolutely winded. <laughs> A little shook. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Apparently, all the dates will be on your uh, X slash Twitter feed. Yes, yeah. I believe so. But yes, this, afternoon, that's what we this afternoon, Cheltenham is calling. Cheltenham, I'm going to Cheltenham tonight. Yes, can to play that. I mean, that's proper. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I've done it before. Oh, have you? Didn't feel very proper then. Okay. <laughs> At your book. I suppose, it, I suppose it's a bit posh, isn't it? Well, it's 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 yeah. it's kind it's, of book central. Yeah. 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 If you're writing yeah. a book, that's where you go. Good. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. where I'm going. Excellent. Very good. <laughs> uh, uh, one of the things I didn't understand was about your career is that you started directing quite early. Like the directing started with comic with the comic strip. strip yeah. yeah. Um, I I mean, we started writing there as well. So. Uh, and I just used to go in, I had a, a director called Sandy Johnson used to direct my episodes and I, he just let me into the edit room and um, I, I spent every time learning how films were made, you know, and uh, eventually uh, got rid of him. <laughs> so, I'm, so, I'm very sorry, Sandy, I'm going to do this for myself. Uh, goodbye. Yeah, taxi for Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I and I started directing, and I I I made um, I did the second bad news episode, uh, and there was a video within it, and within, and and it went quite well, and then bands started asking me to make videos for them, so I did um, Zodiac Mind, Warp, and the Love Reaction, three squeeze things. I did about thirty over a year. Well, you did um, one in in there's one in the book yeah. where you're in L.A. directing yeah, a music I, video on the Chaplin stage. Yeah, I, I uh, and uh, it was a band called the Innocence Mission who. Bizarrely, it's still going despite my video. And uh, as we were shooting them, I was aware there's a kind of something going on. 
and a very big stage, the Chaplin stage. And the, the, someone had just come in, and everyone was kind of there was a psychic kerfuffle, and uh, and I looked over, and it was Joni Mitchell, and. Uh, I thought, oh, that was weird. Uh, that's Joni Mitchell over there. And um, she was looking at me. Isn't that bizarre? And uh, and I was looking at her, and I thought, well, I can't really break the gaze first, because that would be rude, wouldn't it? She's a you know, multi-million selling uh, artist, and I, I can't just turn back to this little girl who's only sold five albums. So uh, I kept looking at her, and she started to stride towards me in a rather threatening manner, uh, which broke into a run, her fists kind of pumping like this. And I thought... I really don't know what's happened here, but it's it's gone very badly wrong, and I'm I think she's going to hurt me. <laughs> and by the time she she eventually got to me, and she she just threw her arms around me, hugged me, in a in a in a way that I've very rarely been hugged, so just so tightly and lovingly. And uh, I was thinking she she's got the wrong man. <laughs> she thinks <laughs> you know that I'm uh, Andy Summers from the Police because we're both blonde and a bit ugly. Uh, but uh, then she sort of held me at arm's length and came back in for a kiss, kissed me on the lips. Wow, platonic, no tongues, of course, not a sex pest. <laughs> and um, and she held me and said, Adrian. Adrian, so it's, it's obviously me. She meant said Adrian. Whenever we have young ones parties, I always play Vivian. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Is that amazing? I'm thinking of Steve Stills as Rick and <laughs> Neil, Neil Young as Neil, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and you talk in the book how the, the, you know, the young ones is kind of this thing, kind of. The, it's a massive thing. And it, yet, it, in your life, it took 14 weeks. Yeah. There's 12 episodes. It's a week an episode and a week on either end to kind of polish, you know, do the costume fittings and a bit of location filming and sound. So it's 40, I've talked about it much long, much longer than I took making it. Yeah. You know. Um, and do you... And, I, and I, I used to get really cross about it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but, but, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I know what it's like to be a fan. I'm, I'm a fan of the Bonzo Dog Doodah band, and I know absolutely every single line. Um, so, you know, I, I, I could pester them forever. Yeah. In fact, I did. <laughs> uh, and uh, when people come up to me in the street and they say, you know, uh, they, they give me a line from the young ones and I don't know the answer, that I can see the huge disappointment <laughs> in their face. <laughs> but you're Vivian. And I think, well, I, I, yeah. I was, but it took up less than 0.5% of my life. Yeah. And when it, was, when, when <laughs> it came that's on... That's the actual figure. But when it came on TV, it was kind of it was kind of groundbreaking. It was young people, a particular sort of young person, seeing themselves for the first time on mainstream yeah. telly. Do young people still respond to that show if they catch it on, on you know, one of the other channels? Well, it's good. I mean, there was, there was a sort of on purpose, we tried to make four really unlikable characters. Um and that sort of worked to a certain extent. But eventually, you know, people started knitting toilet roll covers out, out of those characters, you know. So yeah. everything becomes a kind of uh, cutified in the yeah, end, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, we're, we're getting hot off the presses. Oh, we're yes. getting your dates. Oh no, oh, no. Oh, no, we're not. Oh, look at this. Oh, <laughs> so someone sent in some. This is, literally, you <laughs> yeah. say, yeah. that is so, that's so weird. You, I've, I've, got is, a, I've got a cupboard full of uh, knitted Vivians. That's so hilarious. <laughs> uh, regular correspondent, Bunty from Cheadle, she gets yeah. in touch a lot. Yeah. Uh, she, she, uh, she loves you. Uh, such a sweet, funny man. And uh, is belied by his alter ego, the similarly gender neutrally named Vivian, uh, depicted here, made from a pair of socks. There he is. <laughs> There you go, a nice picture of, of yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have to say that's the worst one I've ever seen, <laughs> but in a very funny way. Good on you, Bunty. <laughs> yeah. They look like a family of moomins. <laughs> <laughs>
yes. Uh, thank you, Bunty. Thank you, and, Bunty. Uh, and let's just remind everybody, the book is called Berserker. It is out now. And if you want to find out where Adrian's going on his book tour, uh, well, he's in Cheltenham this afternoon. And other than that, the details are on your uh, ex, whatever they're yeah, called. Yeah, it's going. Going on till the end of October. Oh, OK. Yes. OK. And it's just you doing... It's just a... me. I, yeah. do, I do an hour of talking about myself, then I do an hour of question answering. Oh, Bunty love that. Yeah. Come on, Bunty. <laughs> yeah, you're going to Cheadle. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Have a Cheers. great time this afternoon. Lovely to see Take you. care, Ed. Bye-bye. Coming up, I chat to Grace Dent about her new book, Comfort Eating. But first, let's have a brand new competition. Big in Japan, all you big in Japan. Hey, I promised you a competition and it's happening big in Japan. Celebrating Waito's new Japanese Japan menu, which is own brand of Japanese dishes. Now, uh, we've got uh, two people primed and ready to play um, with the chance to win something from the menu. It could be a chicken yakitori, skewers or mushroom goiza, or it could be a £250 Waitrose voucher. Uh, so uh, first up, we've got Denise. Hello. Hi, morning. Hi, there you are. Where are you, Denise? Colchester in Essex. Lovely, very nice. Uh, all good in Colchester today. Is the heat wave rolling in? It is, absolutely. Sun belting in through the window. Marvellous. OK, so, uh, I th- so I'm going to ask you a question first, OK? And then I'll get okay. to the other question. OK, so here's your question. Which... This is, you understand, so Bigger Japan is the name of things. So, which yeah. of the following is Japan's biggest city in terms of population? Don't worry, it's multiple choice. A, A, Tokyo, B, Yokohama, C, Osaka. What do you reckon? Uh, I reckon Tokyo. Sorry, what was that now? Tokyo. You're saying Tokyo? Is she right? Yeah. Yes, you are. Population of nine million people. Get in, Denise. All right, now I've got I've got this special uh, Japanese uh, gashbon machine. It's one of those you know dispensing machines. It's got a little kind of little gifty eggs inside. So I've got to put a coin in. Push that in hard, hard, hard. Then I twist this thing. Hang on. Oh, somebody's come out. You've got the blue. You've got the blue. Let's see what's in the blue egg. I'm opening it now. Uh, wasted on the radio. This wasted. Uh, you've won. A chicken katsu curry. Um, it's it's not two hundred fifty pounds, but it's a chicken katsu curry. Excellent. Eh, oh look, Denise sounds delighted with herself. Marvelous. Is there anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the uh, on the radio? Right. Well, uh, hi to my husband. He's probably listening in the next room. Uh, my son and his girlfriend in Dublin this weekend. Um, and my youngest son in America, so he won't hear it, but he can play it back. Yeah, exactly. You can download the app. You'll be a new listener. Thanks for that, Denise. Thanks for playing. Uh, congratulations on your chicken katsu curry. Thanks a lot. Okay, Thank we're you. going on. Oh, bye. Okay. bye, 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 bye. Uh, we're going on to Oliver now. Hello, Oliver. Morning, Graham. The chicken katsu curry's gone. I'll tell you that now for nothing. Oh, yeah. I'm really disappointed. I bet you are gutted. Uh, right, where are you, Oliver? Spitalfields. Oh, you could shout out the window. I'll hear you. And uh, uh, well, we are, I'm looking at the same sky as you, so it's beautiful here in London today. Uh, what have you got planned for the rest of your Saturday? I'm probably going to go for a walk because the weather's so good. A walk. 
I like it. Dream big, Oliver. Dream big. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, you, I've got a question for you. If you get this correct, then I'll be putting a coin in my Japanese uh, gashbon machine and you'll be getting an egg and then I'll open the egg and find out what you've won. Okay, here we go. Which of the following is Japanese... Oh, no, I, the, the question on here is wrong. <laughs> but what is the question? Okay. Which of these is the most popular beer in Japan? Okay. Which of these? You've got multiple choice. A, Guinness. B, Carlsberg. C, Ashe Super Dry. I say um, C, Ashe Super Dry. Okay. Let's see if you're right. You are! Well done, Oliver and Spittlefields. I'm taking my coin. I'm putting it in my gasbron machine. I'm twisting the thing. Hang on. Where the hell? Oh, you got the red. You got a red one. Hang on. Let's come on. Get out I nearly swore on the radio. Uh, okay, let's see what you've got, Oliver. I'm just unfolding the little bit of paper now. And you have won chicken garage. Yes, you have. I know. I don't know either, Oliver, but it's, yeah. it's got chicken in it. It looks lovely. Oh, well, I will. I look forward to it. I know. You'll have to walk for a bit further just to burn off the calories. <laughs> uh, Oliver, thank you so much for playing. Sorry we didn't give anyone 250 pounds. You never know. We might next time. Uh, enjoy your walk and thanks for playing Big in Japan, Oliver. Take care of yourself. Thank you, Graham. All right. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Cheers, then. Bye. Okay. Bye, 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 bye. Grace Dead is here. Hello, Grace Dead. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well. You have a book, uh, Comfort Eating, based on your podcast. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I feel like it could just be called Carbs. <laughs> <laughs> there is not a lot of protein in this book. It's a book, it's about the things that we eat when nobody's looking, the things that give us comfort and joy, the things we cobble together when nobody's looking. So there's a lot of bread, a lot of potatoes, a lot of pasta, tons of butter, because butter makes everything better, sweet things. Nobody ever gets in at the end of a very long, depressing day and starts rustling up a haunch of venison, <laughs> do they? I, my favourite, kind of, I, we use the word recipe loosely, my favourite recipe is Siobhan McSweeney's, where you kind of, you cook it in your mouth. <laughs> But this, it, but it actually goes very deep because she brought so Siobhan McSweeney from Derry Girls, Sister Michael. She, she was called Sister, Sister Michael, Michael yeah. wonderful yeah. woman. And she, you get the tato crisps, cheese and onion. You get the Guinness. You get the dairy milk. You put it all in your mouth together. <laughs> you uh, chew it all up. <laughs> And she said to me, there, there, that's it. That's the taste, she said, of being taken to the pub by my dad when I was a little girl oh. and being given some chocolate and having the, the froth off the Guinness. So these things, although they are often quite disgusting or out of tins, cold things out of tins, they do, they're about childhood. It's about childhood. I have brought the thing that you eat when nobody's looking. Have you brought it? Oh, fantastic. Because I was just saying, Martha has... Because we normally have a show chef, Martha. And uh, she's away. Well, and, uh, so my stomach is rumbling. So thank you so much. Give the chef the day off. <laughs> because I've brought what 
Graham. I know he eats, and it is a Scotch egg. I'm opening it up. Oh. It's a pre-packed Scotch egg. None of your gastro pub runny. No. None of your runny yolks. Nothing. What? And I know for a fact, Graham, that you eat a large Scotch egg like an apple. Yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> while cycling. Well, on my bike, I'll have that in my hand. I've brought you one. There thank you, you go. so much. There I'll just go. take one. Just one. Uh, thank you very much. Now, I'm would you have it. that with a dip of some type if you were in the house? Not really. I mean, ketchup maybe. Pourable sunshine, little salad cream maybe. No, no, just a little, little, little bit of ketchup. That would do me. And and sometimes I might shove it in the microwave for thirty seconds. <laughs> a microwave. Just to take, just to take the corpse-like chill off it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that these things are the things we do alone, though. No, the, the essence of comfort eating is that thing. We only do it for us. You would never say to somebody, oh, you must come round and I'll do my famous Livita <laughs> with silver skin pickled onions and cheese and chive cottage cheese. It's these things that give us solace at the end of a very long day. Life is tough. Had you ever heard of Joe Brand's comfort eating treat before? Uh, Joe Brand brought to my house for my podcast, she brought a fried bread sandwich. And I thought I knew what that was till I read the recipe. No, the recipe is, it's, look, it doesn't sound like much, but if you think about it, she's taking a piece of, you know, that white bread that we're made to feel terribly guilty for eating. You only, you only buy it sheepishly from a newsagent. That white bread, she takes the crusts off and she fries that in flagons of butter until it's delicious and then puts it between two more pieces of this white bread <laughs> loads of brown loads of brown sauce brown ketchup cape what's it called hp to give it its name it's that and it's just that it's it's buttery and it's fruity and she always identifies that with when she was she first moved out from home and she'd go and she was living in a shared flat and she'd come in after you know hangovers you know that lovely your first shared flats and you get up in the morning and you just dissect the night before and you've kissed a boy you've no idea what he looks like you have to ask your friends what the person looks like and you're sitting there with your fried egg sandwich your fried bread sandwich rather no fried egg seems possibly fried... haute cuisine now <laughs> <laughs> an egg are you mad i love that just putting a bread a bread like literally a bread sandwich that's a bread genius. sandwich but then i think in this country we've been bombarded by sourdough haven't we so everywhere for, and aunt sourdough is lovely and it has its place but everywhere we go we're given this bread that's actually slightly difficult to eat <laughs> and we go mm, and then we're scared to say give us a couple of slices of that plastic stuff that would that would salt you know but also i love the plastic stuff because i remember being in the back of the car with my mom and you could take the middle of the bread yes. and then you pre you Keep pressing it till it becomes dough again. Doughy. Oh, yes. Lovely. But I love that you're there, and this is the whole point of the book, you're accessing a memory that if I'd said to you, today, why don't we talk about that? You would say, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to reveal these things about me. But the moment I ask whoever it is, James Norton or Russell Tovey or Stephen Fry, whoever has came onto my... The moment I asked them, what is the chocolate bar that you would buy at the newsagent if you just went there now? They will immediately choose that thing that gave them solace at 10 o'clock in 1984 when the bell went at school. And, and they went to the tuck shop and they'll tell me some beautiful story about their parents or their teachers. And I just think food 
unlocks memories that we can't get at normally. And has there been anything that anybody's brought you where we've gone? No, I'm yes. sure that gives you comfort, but I cannot eat it. I, I mean, absolutely. Uh, the look, Laura Whitmore. Sorry, Laura, if you're listening to this and you go, will she stop mentioning this? It's with a reason she bought uh, filthy, soily raw mushrooms, snapped the cap out and then just put uh, warm mayo out of a squirty bottle into it and then ate them. You know, she's such a beautiful creature. She just is like a goddess. Yes. Until you see her eat those <laughs> mushrooms or like a velociraptor, like a little baby velociraptor, just blah, and then down. Uh, I have had somebody bring uh, that really spongy, rubbery kebab meat that we only ever eat at one o'clock in the morning yeah. after a few. Yeah. And they brought it stone cold sober and they were on a, they were a celebrity on one of those diets where they don't eat any carbs or fat. They wouldn't let themselves have the pitta or sauce. So they wanted it smeared with avocado. So telling. So there seems very little comfort in that. <laughs> we do get a lot. I mean, we had Nadia off Bake Off the other day and she had, you know, Smash. Oh, you yeah. You remember Smash? I love Smash. Make Smash. Yeah. So she used the Smash as kind of a conduit to put loads of mayo and butter and salt and, and cheese into it. Chili flakes, can of tomato sauce over the top. Oh. It was wonderful. How long has the podcast been going now? We're on season five at the moment and then going straight into season six with no gap. And it seems to me talking about food mm. is relatively easy. Mm. How hard is it to write about food as much as you do? Oh, I think that the, uh, for me personally, the only skill I have is being able to churn out copy like some sort of <laughs> robot. I can't do... Any other, I, I'm not employable in any other field. <laughs> so I think that as a restaurant critic, I've always said that my job first is just to be able to write copy that people want to read. And secondly, to wow them about the food. I think that as a columnist for anything, whether it's cars or opera or whatever, you really just need to be able to keep on doing it and keep people coming back. But I, I mean, I love writing about food. I love it. Do you know what I, what I love writing about more? Restaurants. But but I think what's, what you do, because I think by and large, you do far more good reviews than bad reviews. Yes, definitely. And is that, an, is that a thing now? Because I think there was a time when mm. people became critics because it was so fun to do really vile copy and jokes. It was very funny to rip a place apart. Yes. And you don't seem to do that. I do sometimes. I, I definitely do feel cross and write the truth sometimes. But is it fun? Is it fun going in and having... First of all, I've had to have the bad meal, <laughs> which is still a night out of my life, which I've wasted good mascara and lipstick on and said to one of my friends, hey, let's go to this wonderful place and then had a horrible time. So that's not fun. The second thing is the staff, everybody that was on that night... They all know they're all waiting for this piece of writing to come uh, out. That's hard. Yeah. It's really hard when, if it's a very big, very expensive restaurant backed by people that have got billions of pounds and it's awful, it's kind of fun to just say the absolute truth. Yeah. But if a restaurant owner has s taken you round his new restaurant with his baby in his arm, 
on his on its uh, you know on his knee on its his uh, hip showing me the beautiful chandeliers he's had imported do you think it's fun to wake up at five o'clock in the morning with an empty that you're, that you're grimacing an empty word document and then drink a pint of gold blend and then actually say the truth no it's absolutely horrible oh. however i have to tell the truth i'm not writing the, the column for the good of my own health. I'm writing it for people who 90% of the time may never ever go to any of the restaurants that I talk about and they're just there vicariously. But occasionally they go, let's go out for a birthday. Let's go out for our anniversary. Where does Grace say is nice? And I desperately don't want them to get ripped off for 250 quid because that seems to be yeah. increasingly very easy to spend in a restaurant, which sounds preposterous. It does, doesn't it? It sounds pre 250 pounds. Yeah. It, sounds, it sounds made up. It sounds like there's a huge amount of money, but these days, once you've had couple of opening cocktails and a, a bottle of wine and some, you know, those shared plates we get given, which is oh. just one, one anchovy on have, a plate. It's have, for yeah. sharing. Have you eaten here before? Oh, here's trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Let me talk you through the concept of the menu, they say. You're going to need hundreds of small plates and then we're going to empty all of the money out of your bank account. Uh, so I write for those people. I don't write for the restaurant world. And is it harder now that you're known? Now yes. that you, because... Yeah. Yes, it's it's harder because, I mean, in the early days, I could nip in and out of places and people wouldn't see it was me. But now, if somebody has spent millions of pounds on a restaurant, they they know to photograph a, a picture of me and put it in the kitchen, which somebody has inevitably put devil's horns on <laughs> and ruder words. Uh, but they know it's me. And this is why people say to me all the time, Everywhere I go, oh, I'd love to eat with you, Grace, anytime, anytime. And I say, you know, you wouldn't because it's chaos. You walk through the door and suddenly the people who were about to serve your table just disappear. Yeah. They're taken away. Where are they escorted to? And there's just this palpable chaos that's going on in the room. So. A man in a suit is serving you. Yes. <laughs> and very, very quickly before we go, I don't know, did you fall into it or was it something you wanted to do? I always wanted to do it, but I absolutely knew that these jobs didn't go to people like me. They went to uh, quite austere men who spent their their childhoods in Tuscany. So it was complete <laughs> fluke. I was offered to cover for somebody at one point after being a journalist for about 20 years. And I thought about four seconds and I went, yes, I want it. And they will prize this job out of I my know. cold hands. Look at you now. Uh, <laughs> not just the restaurant views in the Guardian, but also Comfort Eating the Podcast and now Comfort Eating the Book, which is out now in hardback. Thank you so much for coming <sighs> in to see us. I'm going to leave this other egg for you. No, I've had one now. <laughs> I've, 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 that's my limit. That's my limit. Thanks so much for listening today. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. Follow us on all our socials to keep up to date and make sure you check out our YouTube channel too. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK and you'll find loads of great interviews and live sessions. Until next time. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.